I'm Randall Alquist, and I have a passion for story, hearing about and sharing journeys with ordinary people who live extraordinary lives. The Long-Haired Pastor Podcast is about meaningful discussions with amazing people who love Jesus. Through our time together, we're going to be growing in our understanding of God's plan and purpose for our lives, as well as have a great time. Get ready to be inspired and challenged by God to take your next spiritual step. Today's guest is Alea Linton-Smith, a once teenage single parent who made it as a fashion designer in New York City, shed $74,000 in debt in just two years. A financial coach and the creator of Hope and Sense, her blog, workshops, personal coaching, and boot camps are changing people's lives. Let's jump in. So Alea, I'm so excited to have you on here today. Um, this is my... You're my sis, um, and you've been a part of my life. I was just, when we were praying together before this, it occurred to me, it's been like almost 15 years, dude, that that our families have been together and our friendships have been growing and your, your husband's one of my best friends in the world. So it's an honor for me to have you on the show tonight and really to share you with the larger community of people, anybody listening tonight, I want to introduce to you. Alea Linton Smith. So, why don't you tell us about your 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 God story? Sure. I grew up in a Christian household, and so I guess you could say I kind of inherited my faith, or it was passed down to me. Went to Christian schools on and off. Went to Christian boarding high school. Um, you know, all of that. My my mom, children's church teacher, children's church director, but. I would say that my faith became my own when I was probably in my my mid-20s. After high school, I I would say my faith was dormant for a few years. Um, It it was there, but it was definitely not active. By early to mid-20s, you know, newly married, young family, I just, I Mm. knew that it needed to be a part of our lives. It had been missing. Um, You know, I kind of, in the beginning of, um, you know, the marriage, we we maybe visited a couple churches, but it came (laughs) to a point where I was like, you know what, we need this. And so we, we started going to church. And I would say even that, you know, we immersed ourselves in church, but it was probably another um, seven years, I would say, that my faith went from being about going to church to about being about my relationship with Christ. That transition as a married couple made the commitment to start going to church, it was again, more about the involvement. And I think that was what we needed in that stage of our lives. Um, But then we, you know, physically moved to another state Mm. and the the church, um, which is the church that I'm in now, I think just played a huge role in taking ownership Mm. for your faith. That's good. That's good. Um, It's funny because, well, you know, people listening may not know this, but you go to the church with me, um, which I love. And and part of the reason (laughs) you came up here is because I like I like uh, fished your husband. Yeah, yeah fished you and your husband out of Jersey <laughs> up to the sweet land of Connecticut. Uh, um, and, yes. and you came on. A place I never thought I would <laughs> I ever know. Um, I didn't even know Connecticut existed before I moved here. Um, exactly. But it's beautiful, yeah. y'all. If, you, if you're listening to the podcast, oh, it is. like Connecticut is like seriously <laughs> underrated. It's, uh, the taxes are bad. Yeah. 
but they're not as bad as Jersey. Um, and right. <laughs> and it's like really beautiful here. Yeah. Like we have the ocean, we have mountains, we have lakes, we have all this history and it's pretty chill. So anyways, I pulled you guys up here for David to come and work on some of the creative <laughs> art yeah. stuff. Um, and then we ended up hiring you as the group's uh, pastor or group's director, which was, which was awesome too. Yeah, yeah. Small groups. Small groups coordinator. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and uh, so, so that was wild. How, did you ever think you'd be working at a church, Alea? Not in a million years. <laughs> Not in That's a million so years did I ever think I would be in church ministry. Um, yeah, but it was a blessing. Where were you raised? So I primarily. Um, so I'm from, born in New York, but raised between okay. New York and Florida equally. Literally ping pong back and forth between the two states growing up. Okay. And then went to high school in South Carolina. <laughs> so, so up and down the East Coast, basically. <laughs> yeah. 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 Now you ended up in New York City as a fashion designer. I did, yep. Yeah, I went to college in Florida and studied fashion design at the Art Institute down there and then ended up pursuing my career in New York as a clothing designer. That's awesome. What was that like? It was for a good time, an amazing time in my life. Um, and let me just say this, when people hear fashion, they think models and runways. And I know you, you know, you <laughs> live that side of fashion, but that was not the side of fashion I had the pleasure. It was more like Sears and Walmart. Um, and <laughs> me, you know, on a computer in a room with six other designers and we're like emailing China every day. So it was not as glamorous yeah. as, um, you know, most people associate fashion with we we clothe the masses is what i what i say okay. um but it was it was an amazing experience for a long time until it stopped being amazing <laughs> but but That's a, so a very important part of my life for sure yeah. Well, well, yeah, both of us actually were in the fashion industry. Yeah. We didn't know each other then. We actually met at church, yeah. and I was I was a fashion photographer and ran a production facility. And you were on the other end designing the stuff that we were shooting and pushing that stuff out, which is which is awesome. Tell me how you transitioned out of fashion, then worked for a stint at a church, and then became the financial <laughs> guru that you are now. Ah, uh, well, let me actually go before that because I don't know if you know this part but my entire life I thought I was going to be a lawyer um, wow. so I was on that path or at least I thought I was on that path and um, went through the process of applying for schools and um, I did not have anyone um, speak reality into me throughout the college process so I set my my sights very very high <laughs> for, for the schools that I applied to. I had no safety schools or range schools on my list. Yeah. <laughs> and so I did not get into the the colleges that I applied yeah. for. Um, and that really just changed everything for me. I ended up taking a, a gap year after high school. And, um, you know, I was a young senior. I was 16 for my most of the senior year. And I, grad I turned 17 right before I graduated. Wow. So with a gap year, I'm like, you know, I won't lose any time. I'll be right with everyone else. So I took a gap year and kind of had one of those, um, a, an adventurous year, not in a good way. Mm. Um, and my my mother was living in Florida. I was in New York. 
um, living with my older sister and a roommate and just had a lot of time on my hands. I was working, you know, we worked in retail, but had a lot of time on my hands. But I know for a fact that my mom was praying for me um, because some of the things that I was doing, only, only prayer could counter it. So my mom and her wisdom kind of put me in the direction of the school in Florida, you know, fashion had always been there. My interest had always been there. And so um, just kind of after a year of doing not the right things, I ended up doing fashion. And so that was just like the right thing at the right time. Um, so I started my career after graduating. I spent total probably 15, 16 years in the fashion industry. And the first 10 of it were great. But somewhere in there, I just stopped being passionate about it. Mm -hmm. um, it stopped feeling important to me. It stopped being something that I cared about. And that was a very dangerous place for me to be because I always want to operate in, ex in excellence. I want to care about what I do. Um, and I literally didn't care anymore. Um, as you know, there's a lot of excess in that world um, and, and not, not to knock it in any reason, but I, I just remember, you know, we're up in arms because the zipper for this order doesn't match the sweater. And I remember thinking, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care anymore. And, yeah, yeah. and I think that that was God just kind of working a transition in me. Um, at the same time, I personally was going through a process of a, a financial transformation. My family and I, we were in trouble financially. Um, we were deeply in debt and we got to the point, you know, we got to the point where we couldn't pay our bills. And um, we had a couple wake up calls and started improving our situation. And so I went, we went from being saddled with tons of debt and overspending every single month to going on a two year journey of paying off all of our debt. And that journey just ignited a passion in me yeah. to let the world know that there is a different way to live financially. You don't have to live paycheck to paycheck. You don't have to live saddled with debt. There is a different way to live. And that personal journey just coincided with my dissatisfaction with my career. And so I knew that I wanted to eventually transition into coaching people, teaching people. God bless you and Karen, because you guys were some of my first uh, <laughs> coaches, whether you were willing to oh, yeah. or not. I was like, just telling, yeah. shouting it from the, the mountaintops. I was telling people whether they wanted to hear it or not. Oh God, listen. <laughs> first, whatever, I'm like, listen to this. <laughs> we needed to hear, we should have listened better. <laughs> is what happened. <laughs> I tell people how much, like it was like $70,000 or something, right? We were $74,000 in debt and it was a combination of student loans. Um, yeah, I think more than half of it was student loans. It was car payments, it was credit card debt, medical debt, some tax debt, just like you name a debt, we had it basically. You know, when we started, we were literally overspending by $2,000 every single month, $2,000. Wow. Um, and and when we started, there was no reason to believe that we could even pay off a penny, yeah, yeah. <laughs> much less, 
you know, find that deficit. And um, it was just this amazing God-filled journey of going from $2,000 in the hole every month to paying off $74,000 in just two years and, and becoming, um, eventually becoming debt-free. Praise God, man. More than half of Americans live paycheck to paycheck and could not handle a $1,000 emergency without going into debt. Wow. Right now, the, the state that we're in with COVID-19, that has shed a lot of light on the the need for us to be more financially secure. Right. Um, I think that this time is a big, big wake up call for a lot of people, or at least it should be. Yeah. Um, it was wake up calls actually that jolted us into paying off um, our debt. And I, I say wake up calls are, are good, um, but don't wait for a wake up call because yeah. you might not like the one that you get. Um, That's good. I suspected, and when I suspect, I mean, I knew at the bottom <laughs> of the, my, my heart <laughs> that yeah. we were on a path to going nowhere, but I suppressed that because, you know, I, I wanted to go to Mexico and put it on my credit card. I wanted right. to, you know, pay like, you know, like you don't want to <laughs> right. do what it takes to be responsible. Oh, gosh. That's yeah, not you want to push that thing as deep in the closet <laughs> as you possibly can and go exactly. ahead and order the large coffee. You know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We deserve exactly. to go out and have steak. Come on, girl. Right, right. Yes, you yeah. don't want to do, you know, it's what so you crazy. know you should do. Yeah. Um, and I remember like in the beginning, like, hey, you know, it's my husband, David, David, I think we're overextending ourselves. Oh no, we're fine. We're fine. Because <laughs> when you can afford the payments, you feel yeah. like, like, okay, we're good. I can afford the payment. Um, and so for a while we were affording the payments, but then things went from being manageable mm. to a little uncomfortable yeah. to overwhelming. Yeah. I want to go back a, a, a step. Did part of your dissatisfaction with the fashion design world yeah. Like, did that align with your with your awakening spiritually when you guys were starting to look at church? I, I did want to, and I guess maybe, the, you know, you, you could say this overlaps, the spiritual awakening. I did want to be a part of something that mattered in a different way than, than you know, what I was currently in. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I guess in, in in a sense, yes. Thanks yeah. for uh, I, I, shedding light on that. Never really. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm popping off epiphanies over here, girl. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I because I it's interesting because I was you know I was in the fashion world as well for about 15 years, yeah. very similar to yeah. you. Um, and I was I was not only photographing but I was working in production and and managing a big um, space in Manhattan and all these different things. And as I became aware of my need for God, my need for a savior, mm. but also the presence of God. Um, mm. And at that point it was really new, um, you know, just navigating that whole relationship. I started to be dissatisfied with, because for, you know, fashion photography was really it's cool and all that kind of stuff and it's fun. But when you yeah. really boil it down, you're, you know, it's taking 16 and 17 year olds and telling them, to look sexy and they don't right. even know what sexy is at 16 it, years old yeah. i mean you know it's like it's 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 almost like what are we pushing here well you know what right. am i investing my talents in and although i continue to love fashion and i and i have nothing against the industry um right. for me personally it started to feel like what well, i think what you said was really well articulated i just wanted to be a part of something that would mean something 
tomorrow. Right. It was fun, yeah. but it began to feel empty, right. um, which was a big transition point for me too. And it began to feel empty before September 11th. After September 11th, I felt empty as well. And, and everything sort of changed. Um, for a lot of people that are listening, um, you know, you may feel, be feeling dissatisfied in whatever career choice you're in. You may be just feeling dissatisfied. And that doesn't mean you have to jump ship into a new career or doesn't mean you have to jump ship and become a pastor. <laughs> Please pray hard uh, before you jump into that. Um, but but it it could mean that God is stirring something in you. You know, there's a, it, it, scripture says deep calls on the deep. And, you know, as we as we dive into God's presence and the reality of the relationship with him, our heart begins to long for the things that he has designed us for us to long for. And I think the fashion is important, but what you transition into, you're actually helping people. You're serving people who feel hopeless. You're giving them hope, um, you know, which is a really good tie in for the name of your business. We'll use that. I'm just kidding. Um, but you're, and you're providing an atmosphere because like, as you said, um, I've been in positions and you know this, cause I've talked to you where we are like, I don't know what I'm going to yeah. do. I might have to get a third job here. I don't know what, you know, there's just no way we we've been in that position too. $2,000, over, over every yeah. month, what we're bringing in the yeah. house. And it's like, Oh my gosh, this is a never ending. So to be able to be in a position now where you're breathing life mm. into people um, truly is a ministry. And you do it not only from the sense of this is how we're going to get you financially sound, but you do it in a holistic approach, which I think makes you really unique and really special. And one of the reasons I wanted to share you um, with the listeners tonight, because there is hope. Yeah. Um, and I think your story is so beautiful in that sense. $74,000 guys in two years. Yeah. Um, that's extraordinary. So tell me about, tell me about your business now. What do you do? What's it called? Um, where do we find you? All that stuff. Sure. So my business name is Hope and Sense, and that's sense as in like pennies. So C-E-N-T-S, Hope and Sense. Mm -hmm. um, and that name really just wraps up what it's all about. Um, I, so the at the core of the business is financial coaching. So I coach individuals and and couples and women. I definitely have a sweet spot for women, um, but I, I coach people um, in their personal finance. So, um, you know, whether it's breaking the paycheck to paycheck cycle, climbing out of debt, um, you know, putting a plan together for, for the future. And under that umbrella, I, I do speaking engagements and I also write. But having the word hope in my business name was so important to me because that is what made the difference for me. Um, you know, when I think about my entire journey and it really started like way, way before I even, before the point that I shared, but hope was what was missing for a lot of time. And that's what kept me in this horrible cycle. Um, and having hope is what got me out. And so, mm -hmm. you know, our society has kind of downgraded hope to mean wishing. Um, but, you know, as we know from a biblical perspective, um, you know, hope is is an expectation. Um, and even non-biblical, you just look in the dictionary and, and it says it's a, um, you know, expectation of a favorable outcome. And so mm -hmm. that 
um, for me changed everything because when I was in debt and it felt like I'm never going to get out, those were the thoughts and words that I spoke over the situation. We're never going to get out of debt. We're always going to be in this mess. Um, and that was, but unbeknownst to me, that was the expectation that I had was that we were always going to be in this mess. And when I started, I mean, God just made something click and, you know, started really getting a hold of kind of financial, you know, information. I started educating myself and uh, began to believe and expect <laughs> that yeah. we could do it, that, you know, there was no evidence that we could, but I just started believing that we could. <laughs> and so you can't hope your way out of debt and you can't. But you also mm. can actually, because yeah. hope is almost, I, I, I say it's like, it's a tangible intangible. Like you can't put, you can't hold it physically, but you can sense it. Yep. You can sense when Come someone on. has hope, you can sense when they don't. And hopelessness is so yeah. powerful because when mm. people are hopeless, they do tragic things. So hopelessness is powerful. And hope is equally powerful. Hope can make wow. you do the impossible with God, mm. of course, leading the efforts. Um, and so when I work with people, I, I address it. I don't think everyone maybe wants to hear that. <laughs> Not mm. everyone associates no, themselves though. as being hopeless um, because mm. we think hopeless is, you know, kind of being down and out. But um, when you're without, hope it's as simple as having those thoughts that i kind of said oh i'm never going to do this or i'm always you know how often do we say things like that we don't realize how powerful right. those statements are right um so and yeah it's yeah. words that can drive the atmosphere of anything absolutely you know if there's there's you know god designed us with that in mind that we were the only creation of all yeah that have the words you know they're able to communicate and able to express emotion that's why i love what you do because you really are a bastion of hope mm. and whether we articulate it or not um a lot of people i mean nobody everybody knows right everybody knows that if i'm living paycheck to paycheck and i get older every year this is not a winning cycle yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, either I have to pray that my, you know, parents did well and they die and leave me something or, or I need to, you know, I don't play right. or win or win the lottery or, you know, at 70, I'm going to, you know, yeah. start a chicken joint and it's going to blow off the map. Um, but that's typically that's not what happens. Right. So we know that we're in a hopeless situation unless we kick something into gear. But I think it's that hopelessness that drives the fear of procrastination. Oh, yeah. Right. And when we procrastinate because we don't know what is beyond the fear. And like you had said, you know, it's almost I don't want to deal with it now. Yeah. I just don't want to deal with it now. Um, so I think that's, and, and I think that has a lot to do with our faith too, right? It, it, it all coincides with this idea that, you know, I, I am saved. I am really? secure in, in my salvation, but am I walking in a way that anybody would recognize that who I belong mm. to? Am I, am I, am I living my life according to what I say I believe, or am I quietly believing and living my life according to how I want to live. And, and this is the thing that, you know, 
is the identifier. Jesus said, you know, they'll know you by the love that you share for one another. And coming at something that is also the number one talked about thing in scripture, right? Is finances. Yeah. Jesus mentions finances and money more than he does serving people, uh, yeah. anything. He, there's more parables about finance than there are about any other th topic in the Bible because he knows that this is a battle for our soul. Yes. So what you're doing, Elaine, I think is is really powerful. And I know that you pray with your with your people and that you you know you pray before you go in and stuff because I've witnessed mm -hmm. that. And I love that you invite all your research and all the expertise that you bring to the table, but you invite the Holy Spirit to help guide those conversations. Um, and I think that's so valuable. Thank you. Thank you. That is so important to me because I never want the guidance to be from me. Right. I don't want it. It's, it's not mine. <laughs> that's good. That's so good. Yeah. Do you have any moments that you said, okay, I'm right here. And then this happened. And now my faith is up here. Um, I mean, what are some testimonies that you can share where your faith took the next step looking back definitely on my financial journey that's definitely one um right. but i think also my my family journey um you know and and it's definitely in in retrospect you know i'm a, I'm, a I'm a slow learner and in, in, in some regards where you know i'm in the process of it and miss <laughs> miss the lesson miss the point and it's looking back um that i get it um but i think that my my family journey was a lesson in doing what is in front of you, doing what you need to do, and letting God do the rest. Um, I had, I became pregnant in college. I had my first son at 19, unmarried, and um, my baby's father <laughs> and I uh, went our separate ways. And um, I raised my my first son as a single mom, um, you know, on my own with with obviously family support, but um, yeah. largely on my own. And um, in the middle of it, it didn't seem difficult. Looking back, it was one of the most difficult things I've ever done. I, right. you know, right. was raising this baby, trying to start a career in fashion, made you know these choices to do what's best for for my son um you know but it was hard right. and so for three and a half years raised him on my own um with no contact from his father when my son jordan my oldest son um was four and a half god just kind of i guess r redeemed those years um by bringing someone into our lives and I don't mean to say that a man is redeeming but just the family mm. unit you know he he restored our our Absolutely. you know family and that person that he brought into our lives was actually my son's father um, his biological father Jordan's dad David my current husband after three and a half years of, of being apart mm. and not thinking that that marriage was, or that relationship was ever going to be restored. Um, and I, wow. when I think back at that time, it's a example of just letting God do what, what God does and you do what you need right. to do. <laughs>
Right. Um, and again, it's kind of in retrospect, and and I have to look back at that. I have to look back at my financial journey and those moments where, and I have to believe that someone, whoever needs to hear this, is hearing this. That they're listening to this this episode because they need to hear this. When you're in the middle of something, um, and the outcome is buried, not visible. You just have to put one foot in front of the other and trust that God is doing what God does. Um, When I work with clients who have these, what seem to be insurmountable financial challenges ahead of them, and then they start taking steps and then they're able to say, oh my goodness, guess what happened? Oh my goodness, guess what happened? Guess what happened? You've seen <laughs> this time and time again. You take one step towards God, he's going to take a step towards you. Come on. But the beautiful thing is God's feet are larger than ours. And so we take our <laughs> tiny little human-sized steps and God is going to take a big, giant God-sized step. When I look back at my financial journey, the numbers don't make sense. It almost doesn't make sense that I paid off $74,000 in two years. And that's because mm-hmm. it was God's math, not my math. God was in there. That's so good. And it's so true. And I think it's, you know, I think that that's grace, right? Yeah. Just in the same way that you were raising Jordan on your own. And in the moment, you, it was man, it was it was impossible but manageable. And in retrospect, you say, man, it was so crazy hard, Yeah. but it, God gives us the grace that we need for the situation. And he, he knows if we're relying on that grace, that when we partner with him by doing what we can yeah. do, he gets to be God and do what we can't. And to know that he's always working in the background on our behalf, right? Even, you know, scripture even says that even when we sleep, right, our spirit cries out with groanings. Mm-hmm. to the father um on our behalf yes. right and that's such a beautiful that's a, such a beautiful picture of what you're describing what you're talking about that god is always moving and it, as long as we we are not shutting him out and giving up hope but are placing in our hope in the one who is the answer right yeah how did that turn out <laughs> Well, today we're still together. I don't know. Should we do a follow-up in five years from now? now. We can do it. I'll put you on the calendar. I'll put you in the calendar. No, you've had, you've had how many other kids? Tell me about your family currently. (laughs) So, yes. So we reunited when our oldest was, um, when Jordan was almost, um, he was four and a half. We reunited. And then two years later, we got married. And then we went on to grow our family. So we now are a family of five. We have three beautiful children. Mm-hmm. Um, I, <laughs> with a very long range, and my oldest is about <laughs> to turn 24. My youngest is two, uh, almost three. Wow. So um, I joke, and you know, the age <laughs> difference between my oldest and my youngest is larger than the age <laughs> difference between me and my first son. So there, there you have it. Um, God, God has wow. a sense of humor, but. Um, yeah, we, when I was 18 and pregnant, 19 and having my first child, um, 
and and things didn't work out with David initially. I remember just, it was a strange time for me, but I, I didn't want to become another statistic. I just remember taking on this super like, okay, I'm, I'm responsible. I'm not a child anymore. I'm like, this is it. I think that, you know, depending on who we are, where we are, we're able to do that or we're not. At that time, David wasn't able to do that. I was able to, um, God put it in me. But I feel like God used those three and a half years to grow myself and grow David um, so that we could then come together and 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 be a family unit and be the unit that, that we are supposed to be. And, you know, we're still on our marriage journey. You know, we're growing every day yeah. in that. Um, yeah, as I think yeah. we, we all continue to. But I think had we gotten married at 18, 19, just because we were pregnant, that marriage would not have lasted. The one thing that people won't know because we're not putting these on YouTube yet um, is that you guys are a diverse couple as well. We are, yeah. That you're Jamaican. Um, and and David is a white boy <laughs> from Alabama. Georgia. Oh my God, he would kill you. Georgia. Oh uh, yeah, same no, thing. Same thing. Anybody listening? I'm <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding. No, he's my Georgia peach. Uh, <laughs> you leave it to Alabama in so, that case. <laughs> no. So so yeah. So you guys you guys have an interracial <laughs> marriage. Yep. Um, and three of the most beautiful kids um not only exteriorly although they are very very handsome and and beautiful um but they're beautiful all the way through um and i think they've taken the best characters from both you and david um they're just great kids you're a black woman Mm -hmm. who has black children um and in a world that still does not see people as equals, but still sees color in a way that, that determines how they are treated, not as a thing of beauty. Tell me about navigating that uh, interracial couple, bringing your kids up in the church, and um, how, you know, just tell me that journey. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think that a lot of what I've experienced, I've, I, in general, I've had decent experiences in that regard. But I think some of that is because of maybe where we've chosen to live. Um, You know, being in the Northeast, I think as a multiracial family, a biracial family is maybe different than, um, you know, if we were in other places. When I was in college in Florida and dating David, um, you know, I got flack, I got heat got heat from from people of you know of the same skin tone as me when when we were I think young and in Florida you know that was an interesting place to be because we lived in Fort Lauderdale and and that's it's like a pocket within the south you know Fort Lauderdale and Mm -hmm. I guess Florida in general is really a conglomerate of you know there's almost as many new yorkers in florida as you know um so it's kind of a weird place (laughs) place to be um but but you're still in the south and so you know i think we did experience some instances of discomfort since then and you know growing our family and and being 
mostly in the Northeast, I've always sought out diverse places to live. Right. Um, or at least have attempted to. <laughs> um, <laughs> where I currently live is not necessarily diverse, but um, it yeah. is in the sense that you know the holistic state is is you right. know a diverse state and and in, in the Northeast. It is unfortunate, and I have to say, and you know I don't know if this is going to be a popular um, sentiment as a mom of biracial children who are black and white, I'm aware that their experience is not the same. Obviously, my two boys, their experience is not the same as if they had a black father. Because of that, there is almost a sense of, at least on my part, of survivor's guilt, almost. Um, because it it really is tragic. Um, it's tragic what is going on. And, and yep. in 2020, wh what black men are facing is tragic. Yep. And, you know, I am, I am well aware that um, my boy's experience is different. Um, and it's weird. It's just a weird, it's a weird sentiment. It's weird because their experience would well, you, be different. You, you feel like, like they have a better opportunity being lighter skinned. Is that what you're saying? Or, or half, half white um, or they have, you know, uh, then they would if they were, okay. Explain what you were saying. Yeah. Cause I wasn't sure. Well, so we have had quote the talk with our boys, mm. yep. but we probably don't have to. Is what I'm saying. Mm. Um, mm. If their skin were, if they presented differently, I think they would have a, a, a different experience. And it's not that they have a, mm. a better, you know. That's that's not what I'm saying at yeah. all. Um, okay. But because the current culture, you know, takes just skin tone as a way to treat people, which is ridiculous. Right. I'm, I'm aware that my fair skinned children have a, a, a different experience than they would if they were mm. my skin. Why is it important for the church, the capital T, capital C church, um, we, we attend a very, very diverse church. Why is it important and almost a responsibility of the, of the church to educate themselves about racism, educate them about each other's experiences, mm -hmm. black churches with white people's experience, white people with black people's experience, and the whole gamut, right? Why, why is that an important process for the church to fully embrace um, our identity in Christ? To me seems so basic and so yeah easy but for some people listening that might not be a concept that they would ever have been aware of mm -hmm. um, um i know that there's there's listeners where there's there's very you know it's very monotone yeah. in their communities and their lives and i've met people actually here in connecticut i have a friend um who goes to our church uh, uh, he's a uh latin american guy but he had never met a white person 
until he was 13 years old oh, wow. and was raised in Bridgeport, oh, wow. um, which, <laughs> which is really wild yeah. because he was in his community. Yeah. They didn't vacation. They didn't do anything. They never left their block sort of a deal. Yeah. Um, so the reality was, is his, his perception of white people was only what he saw on TV. Mm. And, and I know that there's people out there whose only perception of African-American people, any Latino people, yeah. um, Asian people, any would find some of this like, really, you know, is that, that doesn't still happen. Uh-huh. Why is racism still needs to be a, a huge topic in the church? Um, well, I mean, number one is what does heaven look like? <laughs> you know, heaven yeah, is diverse. On. And so it is not yep. um, realistic even for us to continue to operate in our homogenous, um, you know, societies and, and you know, realities race-wise. Um, um, diversity is, is rich and um and flavorful and like why would you not want to be exposed to that we're afraid of what we don't know and if we're only exposed to the image on television we're only exposed to what we hear about we're only exposed to maybe the views of the generations you know we're not born with prejudice (laughs) you know we're not born prejudice we're not born racist this picked up somewhere and so we're only yeah. exposed to the backwards ideas of whatever is passed down to us. At the core, we are, we're diverse, but we're the same. We're made up of the same. Um, if we're not given an opportunity to learn that for ourselves, we continue in in, in ignorance. I've, I've heard it all from, oh, you don't listen to rap music? Why not? To... Oh, man. You don't talk like a black person or you talk white. I mean, I've heard it all from both sides and it all stems from these, you know, perceived misconceptions that, you know, that we have of what white looks like, what black means, what, you know, um, so it needs to be broken somewhere. (laughs) The longest message I think I ever preached was my first one. And, uh, I showed a long video that your husband still teases me about today, <laughs> but I talked about the diversity of the ocean, right? And the deeper you go in the ocean, the crazier the experience, like the the richer the creativity in the fish mm. down there. They glow in the dark mm. and they have, they're just wild looking, right? There's nothing like the fish that you catch on the surface. <laughs> um, and 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 I w- and I was trying to make the point is that the deeper we dive in. You know, we can paddle along the surface of our existence and our experience or, you know, God is inviting us into the depth and it's in the depth of our experience that he exposes himself in the most extraordinary ways. So if we don't, if we, if we just settle for what we know and, you know, well, I, you know, I get it, but look, why make the church uncomfortable? (laughs) You know? Do we really want, you know, do we really want kids coming in who don't look like our kids? What if they influence them in this way or different things like that? And I've heard that from pastors. I mean, you know, um, and it's like, you don't get it. You're like missing the body of Christ. It's like, it's funny to me. And, and you know, this is, uh, I, I'm going to vent a little bit, but it's like when people, you know, say, well, I don't really like the worship. So they show up to church after that, just for the message. And then they get out because ah, I don't like all the noise and, I, you know, sort of a deal. And it's like, you're not going to like heaven very much. Right. 
because you're missing the point. You're you're operating out of preference yeah. and instead of in, in allowing yourself to dive into the experiential atmosphere rich right yeah. love embrace of the father in in the fullness of his creation is the beauty of the father yeah. it's it's not just looking at a tree and saying wow man oh god you're amazing it's like stepping back and looking at like you know the diversity of the trees and the forest and the richness and the and the and the ability to create oxygen for us to breathe it's not just about your one tree it's about looking at the picture and i think i think we have such responsibilities as a church to deal with this you know there is a divide there is yeah. guys whether you're listening to this from a different perspective racism is as relevant today as it was you know a hundred years ago in some senses yeah. and and unfortunately we 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 don't see it we don't experience it and we don't have the courage to um ask our friends what has your experience been like and i think we have an opportunity we have a responsibility honestly as christ followers to um to love one another yeah and how do you love somebody without knowing their experience how do you love somebody without really understanding um their struggles their hopes their dreams their fears their their you know their challenges and their successes and it's and when when we allow ourselves as human beings and as as um you know human beings especially human beings who have been won by the same father yeah. to 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 become family and to love one another and to encourage and support and provide hope there's no piece of jesus in this kind of in this kind of behavior or in this kind of tolerance or, or racism there's there's no jesus in it um therefore and it, and it's an evil thing which means it, it was born out of hell um it was a division of the body of christ who is as one body it was a division and it created it was perpetuated by hate and is perpetuated by hate whether we realize it or can articulate no one would ever i mean there are people that are ignorant enough to say yes i hate or yes, I am a racist and this is why, but there's other people who don't really realize it because they're uneducated on someone else's experience. And I think that that is the thing that I want to come across and that's why I asked you, Leigh, because I don't want to make people feel bad, but I do want them to have the understanding that it is a responsibility to know your neighbor's story, to know your brother and sister's um, struggles and to embrace that and to it's not your job to fix it yeah. it's not your job to say to pop paw it away or to throw scriptures at it but it's your responsibility to love somebody in their situation and change the culture in your own home yeah. change yeah. the culture in your family change the culture in your church yeah. preach on this stuff and and train people to understand this is who jesus is and we're supposed to be like him go ahead i'm sorry it's absolutely everyone's responsibility regardless of Absolutely. Your color to right. teach and perpetuate response, you know, tolerance in your in your own household. Praise God. So tell me what's next, you know, what are you doing and how do people, if they wanted to talk to you, um, you know, and get help, um, how could yeah. they reach you? How can they follow it? Tell, tell them about your blog and all that other stuff. 
Yeah, the best, I'll start with the second question. The best way to reach out is um, through my website, my blog. So again, it's hopeandsense.com. So it's hope and then the word and, sense, C-E-N-T-S.com. And I'm also on all social media, the same handle at Hope and Sense. That's the best place to, to reach out to me. And I definitely love connecting with people. So Um, start there and and as far as what's next I just finished doing a series of workshops and I will be continuing doing that and putting together some financial boot camps so anyone that wants to get their stuff into shape in a short (laughs) amount of time um, you know that's on that's I actually have one starting um, pretty soon but I have a series of of boot camps coming up and um, yeah coaching I'm actively coaching and um, so anyone that wants to connect in that way or speaking or writing or anything hopeandsense.com is you'll you'll find me there well Alea you're amazing um, I love you guys I love your family I love everyone your kids um, <laughs> so much and I'm so grateful you that you too. so grateful that you popped on here and that allowed me to share you with the rest of the, the listeners and uh, guys do me a favor go check out hope and sense it is uh, it's going to bless your life powered with somebody who you know is praying for you come on well how many <laughs> of you know we need prayer in our finances right now so go check out alea alea linton thank you smith we love you and and we're so happy to have you on here god bless you girl thanks randall thank you so much for having me Hey, if you were blessed by this podcast and would like to know when the latest episode drops, please, for God's sake, smash the subscribe button and take 30 seconds to give a review. Get this in front of more people and spread the gospel. You can visit our website and leave a tip in the virtual tip jar by checking the link in the bio. Also, follow us on Instagram at the Long Haired Pastor Podcast. And if your wardrobe is hurting, check out the rad designs at zealotco.com. That's zealotco.com. Wear your faith like you live your life. Again, thank you so much for hanging out and shine on.